Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What's up on a Friday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. We are back after a brief hiatus. I didn't, uh, didn't have any pods earlier in the week as I uh, kind of tried to get my life together in the sense that uh, moving to Oxford and all that, kind of get my bearings and get settled. But we're, be, we're back. We'll be on a normal uh, content schedule going forward. I'll get the newsletter cranked up again now that we're uh, settled in over here in Mississippi. So looking forward to that. Uh, I hope you guys didn't miss me too much during the uh, seven days I didn't put out a pod, but uh, I figured it would probably be okay. Anyway, we got Colin Brister on today to talk a little MLB draft, where we think a couple guys could go, who might come back, what the roster looks like next year, and then really just kind of shot the breeze for uh, for an hour or so. It's a very summerish podcast, but we got a lot of good content on the way. I uh, got a Ben Van Cleve podcast coming for you on uh, Sunday, probably. I'll probably drop that sometime on Sunday, as well as uh, the debut of the Nick Broker show through uh, NIL thing we got going. So we got a lot of good stuff going on over here at the pod as we kind of try to get some stuff in order uh, heading into football season. So anyway, all that's coming down the road. Be on the lookout for that newsletter coming back as well. But uh, before we get to me and Colin, I want to remind you, the podcast is brought to you by Mims Insurance. Glad to have my friend Matt Mims on board. He's actually sponsoring the Nick Broker show. Matt Mims is an independent insurance agent based in Oxford. Everything's expensive right now. Gas is expensive. Groceries are expensive. If you've got something you need to get insured, you want to make sure you get the best rate. MIMS is the independent insurance agent whose sole job is to find you the best possible insurance rate. Whatever you need insured, whether it's a boat, car, house, uh, congrats on your boat if that's the case, whatever you need insured, he can help you get the best rate. It can be overwhelming trying to find out what's the best way to go insurance-wise, whether it be provider, best rate, just call Matt Mims and he'll handle all of that for you. That's overwhelming. You got enough going on as is. All you have to do is call him at 601-218-7854. And he's going to get you taken care of. Tell him I sent you and he will get you the best rate possible. All you have to do is sit by the phone and wait for him to get back to you. He is the uh, best in the business, absolutely. He shops it through 10 different insurance agencies and comes back with the best possible deal for you. So let him take the hassle out of the uh, shopping for insurance quotes and just let him handle the process for you. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, he's de definitely going to get you taken care of. Check him out there. MIMS Insurance. That is 601-218-7854. The podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked that the world's best gambling handicapping website, the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. We've got football just around the corner. You're going to want to take advantage of this deal. So right now, they're running an Ole Miss national title special. The Skybox guys are Ole Miss fans. How about that? Right now, if you use the promo code NATTY, that's N-A-T-T-Y, I hope I didn't have to spell that for you, but just in case, you're going to get 50% off any picks package between now and August 17th. You're going to want to take advantage of this. Think about this. You can buy their NCAA and NFL picks package for the year, at half price right now, if you go in and buy it right now. Use the promo code Natty. The promo code Rippy for an extra 20% off still works. I don't know if you can double dip. We'll check with the Skybox guys on that one. But be sure to try both. Why not? You need to check these guys out. If you're into sports betting, they're absolutely the best in the business. They're going to lead you to profit more consistently than your own brain. You don't want the bookie texting you. 
every Sunday night, Monday morning, this football season, asking you to square up as he just robs you blind. You want to be texting him asking where your supplementary income is coming from. Skybox is going to help you do that. They're the professionals. They hit it 60% last year in NFL. They absolutely crushed college basketball. You need to check them out. Skyboxsportspicks.com. So glad to have those guys on board. All right, here is Colin Brister on the MLB draft. Uh, him getting into golf, my move into Oxford, really just a wide-ranging conversation that sort of centered around the MLB draft. We fixed baseball. Here we go. All right, we now welcome on Rippy Wright's baseball correspondent, Colin Brister. This is my first pod in a week. Um, we gave you a whole two weeks off. What have you been doing? Have you been hiding off in some Caribbean island celebrating? What's been up with you ever since uh, the title run? No, no Caribbean islands. Um, we, we took a week after Omaha to, to kind of decompress and like somewhat have a summer. And now we're uh, doing some coaching stuff this week. And, uh, and, and here we are, um, you know, almost wins the national title and two weeks later, it's like, Hey, well, let's discuss how they're going to do it again in 2023. Yeah. Talk about life being different from, uh, <laughs> from the day the uh, national title happened. So we talked, I guess the day or two after whenever it was, I got back from that hellhole airport in Kansas city and then I did a pod with Chase, and then I did a couple random pods after that. But, like, I had a bachelor trip the week after that, and then I accepted a job in Oxford. And so I've spent – I've been MIA on the newsletter. I hadn't done a pod all week. I uh, – maybe if you listen to the Live Golf pod, for those of you out there, I kind of made an announcement at the top. Not really a big deal, but I am back in Oxford now. I do live here now. I have accepted a job with a private equity firm as the marketing director. So I've been moving across states for the last two weeks. Um, so that's been nice. So we're now back in Oxford, back to where it all began. I got to say, every time I come back here, one, I'm glad to be back here. It's a cool town. I like living here. Um, but there's always enough different to where you're like, damn, this place has changed since the last time I've like yes. left. And then there's always enough the same to where you're like, actually nothing has changed. Like it's kind of yeah. bizarre. There's always new restaurants, there's new construction, but everything else is the same, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it's exactly so. I went back and spent two weeks, the first of June or whatever. Um, and it was like, oh, wow, there's all this new stuff. And then I found my ass at, you know, the same Mexican restaurant that I went to in college. Um, you know, so – Yes, there's always new stuff, and I keep getting um, surprised at where, like, where they find to build new stuff. Thank God they do, because I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of Oxford Economic Development. But, um, yeah, there's, there's a ton of new stuff. And then, you know, I think that's a good sign for businesses, right, like that you can continue to build all this new stuff and then, like, all the old stuff is still able to produce and stay in business too. Oh, it's a, a thousand percent you're correct. It's good for the town. It's good for everything. And you talk about squeezing stuff in. That part on campus amazes me. So off campus, I actually work out by the bowling alley now. My office right. is over there, kind of by the convention center. And I mean, dude, when we were in college, there was nothing over there. Like, no, it was, was like, like they short. called it the Wendy's secret Wendy's. Yeah, the, that's a great way to put it. That was the secret Wendy's, and now there, there's nothing secret about it. Hell, there's an El Charo there now. I don't <laughs> work, and there's a Mexican joint over there. I was like, what the hell is this? Is, is Wendy's still over there? There's like a development. There's all kinds of crazy stuff over there. Is Wendy's still over there? Yeah, no, Wendy's is over there. They, I think they just had to take the secret part off the sign. Oh, okay. over there. So, so um, that Wendy's was really good until it stopped being secret Wendy's. Yeah, I mean, when the traffic picks up, they don't have time to just specialize your orders, pal. It's just keep it moving. Sorry, you got the spicy nugs? Oh, here's a burger. Keep it moving. This is a Wendy's. 
Um, it's like God intended for you to yeah, have. Exactly. It's almost like it's a normal fast food place. But honestly, <laughs> while we get off on this tangent, even on campus amazed me. So the first night I got back here, I started my job on Monday as we recorded this on a Thursday night. And I was like, I'm going to go take a jog through campus. Um, Are you running now? Yeah, I've been trying enough to sweat. Look, I'm not getting into CrossFit or anything like that. Um, you will not see me with any sort of dumbbells. But um, <laughs> if you want to be really crude about it, it's just sweating out all the bad stuff. Um, <laughs> maybe choices the night before every now and again. But no, I'm trying to run uh, for a couple of days a week. You just feel better when you do it. So I decided to run through campus. And so I run through like the area kind of by the athletic office up through Vaught-Hemingway, up toward, like, the pavilion, and there's, a, like, a Duff Research Center going yeah. into it where they, like, made the road halfway as wide. And every time I, like, look at campus, I'm like, God, they can't fit anything in here unless they're going to, of course, like they always do, take away parking because, you know, there's too much of that on campus. Um, like, how are they going to keep fitting this stuff? And boom, there's another gigantic research center going up. I'm like, wow. They're going to – it's eventually going to get to a point where they're going to be like, hey, you know, Stockard, we're thinking about putting a research center on top of it. Gonna build like Stockard a skyscraper. Yeah, if you take if you take to the twelfth floor, Stockard will actually have a normal working elevator. If you get up that far, boom, research center. It's wild. You're gonna, you're gonna enjoy like being able to on a Tuesday go watch the uh, four p.m. game versus Memphis in baseball come February. Oh, I'm gonna enjoy the hell out of all that. You know what else I'm enjoying is the fact that. Um, I get to go home for lunch, and it takes me 10 minutes to get home, and I work on the other side of oh. where I'm currently living versus spending $80 in gas a week and two hours a day in traffic round trip. I bet I bet that is nice Like, because I would always complain about Oxford traffic because like, when we were in school, it was miserable. Jackson Avenue was hell. And I'll um, complain about it when it gets back reared up again. Don't yeah, but like, I bet after you live in Dallas for two years, it's like, oh, this is fine. Oh, yeah, dude. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. Like, 5 o'clock traffic in Dallas. I didn't – I lived in da- Uptown, which is, like, downtown area of Dallas, like, right north of there, and then li- worked in Irving, which is kind of the next thing over. And it's probably as the crow flies with no traffic, a 12-minute drive, but it's 55 when – 55 wow. to an hour because you're in just bumper to bumper the whole time. And God forbid my – you know, MC lived in Fort Worth. If I did that, I mean, you're talking an hour 10 each way. Jeez. And, you know, with this whole, uh, this whole gas situation going on here, buddy, that was expensive. They literally gave us a work from home day my last two months on the job out there because that's what it was. Um, so that's, uh, that's been some advantages. So anyway, we're back. That's been talking Oxford. Um, I do <laughs> need to find a place to live. So I'm at my parents' place trying to figure that one out. So if anyone out there has uh, places to live, hit your boy up. Um, <laughs> So that's been talking real estate. Anyway, we're here to discuss a little bit of the uh, MLB draft. So that's coming up on Sunday. And is it fair to say that the Rebels will be more affected by the draft because of what they did in the postseason than yep. they would have originally thought they would, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't think anybody thought in, in February um, – that you were going to lose Dylan Belusha, maybe possibly. I don't, I don't know a ton, but you know, possibly lose the him. Fact in that the it was a question. Yeah, um, you know, and and so I, I think that's fa- certainly fair um, that you, that it's going to affect you more than uh, you probably thought it would in February. But you'll 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 take the 
alternative of that, uh, or you'll take that versus the alternative every time. You'll take the national title in the draft hitting you a little bit harder uh, versus, you know, a crappy season in the draft not affecting you. I'll say, yeah, I'd say you'd probably take that trade off, but it's even beyond the obvious guys, right? So, like, uh, I'm trying to think, like a guy like a Justin Bench who could have come back, um, yeah. even, like, even like a Kevin Graham who had like a COVID year, right? If he technically right. wanted to, that you had the famous Dave Van Horn quote, sure. like, thank God I don't have to face Kevin Graham again. It's like, well, buddy. Yeah, well, actually, pal, like you could. Um, but those guys going out the way they did, going out yeah. top, there's nothing left for them to accomplish. And I don't no. know anything, but I'm just using common sense here. Both of those guys, I assume, are going to move on to different endeavors in professional baseball. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But, like, had they flamed out in a super regional or something and, you know, coaching change impending aside, there's a decent chance you might have gotten one or both of those guys back to where now – they reached the pinnacle of the mountaintop. What's the point of them coming back, right? Yeah, I, I think that's certainly the best way to put it. I don't, I don't really see um, the benefit for Kevin Graham and Justin Bench to come back to Ole Miss. Um, you've won the national title, so all you can do next year to match that is win the national title. Um, and I don't think either of those guys' stocks are going to get get massively improved by one more year. Frankly, I think it might even hurt them a little bit just because I they're your. Yeah, so so I, I don't I don't really see any scenario, you know, and I don't know anything really, um, but I don't really see any scenario where either of those guys are back. I don't really either because – and you, we probably have someone out there listening that's like, well, why not try to go for a repeat? Well, like, this isn't like Joe Kim Noah and Al Horford in OC. You only got so many years. Well, that – and it's a – baseball's a whole different deal. Like, Ole Miss will not be national championship favorites next year. No. Because Kevin Graham and Justin Bitch came back. And that's not diminishing their value. Baseball's just a whole different deal. Whereas, like, in hoops, like, when Noah and Horford and all those guys on those Florida teams won, and they're like, yeah, we'll run it back and win another one. Well, all you need is three of those guys to come back and you got a shot. <laughs> That's not really how baseball works. And so, yeah, sure. I mean, what are they – I mean, go out on top, be legendary. Honest to God, I mean, you played baseball and you coach baseball. There's very – there's one team every year that gets to go out happy and gets to mm-hmm. end something in a happy way. Why on God's green earth would they come back with in all likelihood? And I don't mean to like sound cynical, just to you know eventually be have their season ended by someone else and go out on a sour note. Like I'd rather just much back. Yeah, I won my last game. Like what's up? Yeah, and and so here's the thing, right? Like yes, this team won the national title, and and, and you know that alleviates everything. Um, but this same group was 14 and 16 and barely fought to get into the tournament, um, or barely got in the tournament, I should say. Like, I guess my point is, it wouldn't take a whole hell of a lot for you to come back and have a disappointing season, if that makes sense. And then, you know, I mean, they were real close to it this year. Um, And then, you you know, you get the new opportunity and new life and everything turned around. So, no, I I, I just, I don't, I mean, I don't think it helps their draft stock. And I don't think it helps you from a legacy standpoint at Ole Miss returning. So, I I just, I don't really see the benefit um, for those two guys go go, you know coming back you know maybe they do I certainly hope they do but I would certainly expect Ole Miss to have to have somebody else at third base in the left field next year I'm with you I just don't see it and again like we're doing this kind of just off the cuff as I just outlined everything that's been going on (laughs) on uh, this podcast host end of his life I hadn't done a ton of research hadn't really been able to talk to a lot of people just because of everything that's happened you know the last couple weeks just kind of going off uh, common sense 
But, like, I kind of feel like I, I kind of like the fact that we're shooting off the hip here and just kind of rolling through it. Um, and that's different. You talk about the – I think the legacy aspect of things is fairly interesting as well because you mentioned that. Like, it's different than the Elko thing where Elko could have gone pro this – like, sure. before the 2022 season. But coming back, like, he was like, oh, this guy's going to be an old Miss legend, really regardless of what they do. Obviously, spoiler alert here, winning the national championship helped. But, like, him coming back and having a productive year, like, he would have been kind of a legend regardless. That's not really the same case for Graham and Bench and guys like that. Just because, one, they already reached the pinnacle. And, like, two, as you mentioned, like, what do they actually have to gain? Um, so, as we roll through this, I'm just kind of going off the cuff here looking at this roster that I printed out. What do you think Shat does? No, uh, Shat's is back. I would – I mean, I look, think he's I back guess, too. Yeah, one team could fall in love with him, I guess. But – um, no, I think he's back for sure. I think I'll say this. I think if Chatty has a good year offensively, I think he could be a decent round draft pick next year. Um, the offense certainly wasn't great for a lot of this year. Um, but what he is is a really, really good defensive second baseman. Um, and, and those play, I mean, you look at Rob Moore, um, Bob Moore from, from Arkansas, who's an elite defensive second baseman. Um, and, and shot, yeah, I wouldn't say is as good as him, but I guess what I'm saying is that that kid's projected to be a high round draft pick. If Chatney can can have a better year offensively and continue to play defense, well, I think he could be a guy that gets into the seventh to ninth round next year. And I don't I don't think that's what he's at right now. So I kind of expect him back. I'm with you, and he's technically. So I was just going through it. God God bless all those SIDs out there having to keep up with the COVID stuff for the better part of the next half decade. Shat is a junior, but with two years left. So. He has a actual year of leverage plus the COVID year, if I have that correct, right? Yeah. He, he came correct. in 2020, then the season gets canceled. So he actually kind of has real leverage. This whole leverage conversation is going to be fascinating with the COVID year for at least another two years. So you think he's back. I kind of tend to fall in that boat either. I just I, – I don't know – what is he hurting by coming back to school, right? Like, so this MLB draft is – that's another part of this I guess we haven't gotten into yet is it is, if I'm not mistaken, it is now 20 rounds, right? Yes. And that is beyond what it was last year. Was it 15 last year? Uh, no, I think it was back to 20 last year, or at 20 last year, I should say. That's right. So they did the COVID draft. And yeah, it was And they already going to cut down on it, or maybe they used that as an excuse. I don't remember how that process played out. Feel free to fill in the blanks there if you remember. Um. But, like, they, they were already wanting to cut down on the rounds. Remember, this used to be what? Was this 40? It used to be 50. And then it went to 40. And then the COVID year, they went to five. Um, and then the past two years, they're back to 20. That's right. That's it was five in the COVID year. You're right. So, with, like, a 20-round draft, like, you know, the guy that goes in, like, the 23rd round and maybe gets a little more money than you thought – you know, that that's kind of over, right? You got the 10 slot values, and then you really each team has 10 picks. Like, the doesn't like what do you make of that? I'll, I'll just throw it to you in a question. The rounds getting shrunk from 40 to 20, and you clearly have the 10 the, the slot value rounds, right? Beyond that, what do you make of the non slot value rounds getting shrunken? Like, does that I'd imagine naturally that coaxes people back to school, right? What do you make of that part of it getting eliminated? Um. That's interesting because what would happen, right, is like I'll give you an example. Um, what would happen is in the when they had forty rounds, the Diamondbacks would take Jerryon Ely in the thirty-second round. So, right. So you you were taking guys that you really had no shot of signing. 
So I'm not sure if it does a ton. Like, I feel like there was a lot of – like, Johnny Manziel got drafted. You know what I mean? Um, I, I feel like there was a lot of guys that were drafted that were just um, – you know, Ru- uh, not Russell Wilson. That's not a good example because he actually played minor league baseball. Um, Jeff Driscoll was one. Um, that's played in the NFL and somebody drafted him just so they have the rights to him. So I kind of feel like Wilson is a decent example though, right? Because didn't he get like redrafted after he's already with the Seahawks, right? It was uh, just, okay, what are we doing here? The, the no, no, no. So Russ actually got drafted in like the second or third round out of uh, high school, though, right? No, 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 out of NC State. Oh, and, okay. And went and played and then went back to college the next year and, and transferred to Wisconsin. I'm 95% sure he got drafted really high. And then um, just went and played with the Yankees after a few years in, in the NFL. But um, yeah, I think they mainly just trimmed the fat with the strap. I don't know if it, it, it really helps a ton. I think they just disallowed uh, you from really wasting picks, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. I think that's a great way you articulated that. And I kind of derailed you there. But to your point, like only having 10 non-slot value picks versus 30 you have to be more selective with the guys because you still get people all the time in those non-slot value rounds that turn into big league players now it's not common but if you you still have to do your homework and then of course when you get to like the late 30 rounds they would just like you mentioned all those examples kind of throw guys away like you said I think trimming the fat is the best way to put it right now you get 10 slot value picks and then you get 10 non and so you're 10 non, you better actually be pretty, like, serious about it. Like, let's not draft Tim Tebow. Um, or, you know what I mean? Like, take a flyer on some random guy from Austria, whatever that movie they made about the Indian kids that played uh, cricket. Like, let's not do that. Let's, like, actually kind of do our homework and get that. And so for guys that are, like, you know, the amount of college players you have, like Chatagnier or whomever else, I'm not sure he's saying Chatagnier couldn't or shouldn't get picked by a team in the 10th to 20th round. I'm just saying the opportunity is more scarce because you don't have those rounds 23, right. 40, as simple as that is. And so I think that will eventually push – not eventually. I think that will ultimately see guys go back to school more, and I think that will become a trend. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm certainly with you there. I mean, I like just math. I mean, there's, a, there's so many picks, um, you know. Um, and, and, you know, there, there's not as many picks as there was six years ago. So, naturally, there will be more guys in college baseball. And when you consider the COVID extra year of eligibility, there's a lot more guys back in college baseball. Um, and we consider the transfer portal, all sorts of different things. Um, you know, I, 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 man, I, I feel for Clem and Laugh and, and guys like them throughout the country trying to manage a roster because, you know, you talk about the transfer portal. Well, you can get guys out of the transfer portal, but a lot of these guys, um, you sign them, and it's like, hey, we got them. And then two weeks later, they get picked in the sixth round by the Mariners, and it's like, oh, well, I guess we don't have them. You know what I mean? Oh, it's just like anything else in college athletics. You're right. It's just a total mess trying to manage stuff. Um, <laughs> luckily, what the baseball guys have going for them is that they're not calling 17-year-old 24-7 as much. Maybe we get there to that day. But you're right. It's kind of a mess from a roster management standpoint. It's interesting. So now that the draft is 20 rounds, you're a baseball fan. I'm just kind of spitballing here. Is there any chance they turn this into any sort of like event? I get that it's literally televised on MLB network. Like I get that it's actually on TV, but any sort of actual TV thing. Cause I'll never, I remember covering. So when I was doing the internship with the Reds, I had to cover the draft and the Reds had a home series with the Colorado Rockies during the draft. 
And the first night, I was on game duty while my boss, Mark Sheldon, covered mostly the draft. That was when they did the first round. And so, like, the Reds took Jonathan India that year. Um, and then the next two through ten or whatever it was, the next day, I was on that. And I had to show up to the ballpark and cover the draft. So, they had, like, a game going on, but I'm on draft duty. But then the third day came along, and I was like, hey, what do you want me to do for these last couple – like, the, you know, the third day of the draft? And he was like, I don't know. Throw the guy's name in a doc, and we'll see what the editors want. Like, it was just <laughs> like, we don't care. Like, who, who – They're irrelevant. Like, yeah, this is round 25 through 40 or whatever it is. Like, we, you know, I guess document that it happened. I was like, okay, I don't know what that means. Um, <laughs> but it was just kind of a ridiculous event, right? Like, even the second day really wasn't appealing. Um like, I remember talking to a kid that the Reds drafted some kid like named, like, Michael Ciani or something, some kid from the Northeast, and, like, he had, like, his family with him in, like, his high school gym, but, like, they didn't even watch the draft because it wasn't televised, and this kid's, like, a second-round pick. And I just <laughs> wonder, like, I, again, we're just spitballing here, but, like, is there any way that they can turn this into some sort of marketable TV product for the first 10 rounds now that it's only 20, or is that just a buy – is that just not happening? Oh. Uh, so, I commend the MLB um, – for, you know, used to this draft would happen. Um, they would start the Monday of regionals when guys were playing, you know, the, the biggest games of their lives. I remember uh, Glenn Waddle announcing that Ryan Rollison had just gotten drafted in the first that round of so by the Colorado Rockies while I'm sitting there trying not to die while Ole Miss is losing to Tennessee Tech. Um, and I'm just like, how is he getting drafted right now? Like, this is dumb. So what I commend the MLB – uh, for doing um, is is putting it an even worse time for college baseball, and instead of just doing it, you know, when when you screw players during the year, now you screw coaches uh, from a recruiting aspect. So, so thanks to the MLB for that. What they could do and what they should do is so super regionals end on that Monday, right? And then Omaha starts on Friday. Just put the draft Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday in Omaha. Play a major league game with the Tigers or Kansas City or somebody in Omaha on Thursday night, and it would be cool. It would be fun, and I think people would go. I would certainly, if Ole Miss was there, go up there early to watch the, the MLB game and some of the draft or whatever. Um, yeah, I think there's certainly a way to to make this more appealing and make it more fun to watch, more fun to keep up with. Um, but you know, as a baseball fan, I don't have any belief that the MLB actually cares about marketing and sport to its best ability. That was perfectly put because, like, you're right. So, I generally – you mentioned, like, commending them for moving it off of the uh, the regional or super regional weekend, whatever it was, where dudes were playing games and getting drafted. And I'm generally in the camp when, like, something like that happens. Like, one of my pet peeves is when, like, you know, internet guy is like, well, finally this happened. What are these idiots thinking waiting this long? I just, I generally kind of side on the, the – the the side of like okay congrats you you fixed something that that was wrong but honestly and the, when they did that I still remember in the back of my mind I was like why was this ever a thing and why did it take this <laughs> like I'll, I'll give you a slightly a pat on the back but this is absurd where someone is recently Ryan Rollison he's a first round pick that Ryan Rollison got life changing money while he's playing in a college game like how do you balance those emotions you know what I mean him of his life. Yeah, it's awful. And so I'm glad they did that. I think your Omaha idea is great. And they had done – before COVID, they had done yeah. one half of that, right? Weren't they going to play a major league game in They did. They did once, right? Yeah, in 19 they did. Yeah. So, yeah, I get I, – I, I'm all for it. Like, what – I don't even know where the MLB draft is. I assume New York. Do you know where it is? 
I don't. Let me ask this. Is the All-Star break this weekend? Like, is yes. the All-Star break start on Monday? Yes, that is correct. It starts on so Monday. So, let me, let me tell you what's not going to happen. This draft will be on these days for forever because I know this for a fact um, from talking to some people. The MLB teams hate if – and I, I, if the All-Star break is this weekend, then they have decided they're going to do this. Uh, they hate having to play games on days that they do the draft. They hate it. Um, so that they're going to keep it on these days forever. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And that's probably why they did it. But like we talked about like the location of the draft, like, does it matter? Cause like the, the entire red scouting department was holed up in a, in a war room in great American. Like they didn't <laughs> go anywhere. There was no one. You won't mind see them. Yeah. Their head of scouting, like came out with like dip, dip, like spit all over his face, like looking like he hadn't slept in three weeks. Like, what do you want to know? Looks like me after a Thursday night on the square. Yeah, and I was like, Jesus, I like, get this guy some shut eye, like stat, like this is, and I get it, it's part of the job. But like the point being, that guy's not in a suit, like talking to Goodell or something in New York. So like, I don't understand why you couldn't put in Omaha. Again, I get the practical reasons. I I think that would be cool though. Can you imagine some first round pick just walking over to the place with the Jello shots and being like two hundred, boom? Oh, that would be dope. That would be amazing. But, you know, they won't for a million different reasons. So, anyway, that was a nice tangent. We just fixed the MLB draft. Um, I'm pretty sure Rob Manfred listens to this. So, uh, you know, send me a Well, isn't that part of uh, summer sports talk is how to fix the MLB? Yes, that is exactly right. That's like the greatest talk radio segment. in Oh, it's July. Training camp hasn't started. Here we're coming up next, how to fix baseball. Um, (laughs) <laughs> the go-to for so many. I will tell you this. Speaking of fixing baseball, I went to a Braves game because we're literally staying right beside the Braves Park this okay. week. Um, Wait, that, in Braves or big Braves? Uh, in Braves. Okay. Uh, um, that pitch clock thing is legit. They started a game at six thirty, and we were out of the stadium by eight fifty. And the Braves scored eight runs or six runs. I can't remember what it was. That pitch clock thing is legit. If, if, if that's going to happen in minor league baseball. I, I think it's a good idea. You know, they've already implemented in college, but I don't think college was the, ever the greatest example of that, right? You didn't have many laborers in college. Uh, shout out to Texas A&M. But, like, you know what I mean? Like, they've had that in college, and, like, it's never – I don't know if it's just never been enforced, but it's never been an issue. Towards major league baseball, it's absolutely more of an issue. But I'm with you. It seems like you – know, I, I was actually reading something about that the other day, and it seems like the pace of play has absolutely gotten better uh, in the places that's been implemented. So you're a, you're a fan of the pitch clock. Yes, yes, God, yes. And, you know, I'm not one that complains about three-and-a-half-hour – so it's two different camps, right? Like three-and-a-half-hour baseball games don't bother me because I like baseball, but also recognize that baseball needs younger fans. And you're not getting younger fans with games that drag on three-and-a-half, four hours. And particularly in this day and age where there's no action, you know, I was talking to a couple guys about that a couple a few years ago, where it's not even just the length of the game, the the, the home run strikeout three outcome deal. Yeah, there's just no motion, and it's not yep. great for TV, but it's even worse in person. You know, what I mean, like people get really excited for the bombs, but when you have strikeouts and a bunch of lulls in between, and oh, by the way, on top of that, you're going to be there four hours. It's just it's not the greatest product. It's still awesome because I like baseball, but your casual fan is like, oh, probably no thanks. I'll probably go like, you know, I don't know. Hell, I flipped on an MLS game last night, and I kind of loved it. Yeah, yeah, soccer's fun. I, I, I know a lot of people don't like soccer, but I, I kind of enjoy watching people play soccer. 
Well, we're now a soccer podcast thanks to uh, the football version of Colin Weldon Rodenberg. But last night I was just working on different stuff and it happened to come on. It was literally it was the it was two nondescript MLS teams. It was the K- Kansas City team, Sporting KC, and the Minneapolis team. And like they, that's the stands. It was in Minneapolis. The stands were packed, and like people were like really into it. And I was like, I don't know any of these players. I realize this is not a great soccer league, but like this is kind of fun. It went down to the, the game ended on a corner kick where they couldn't get it in. The Kansas City team screwed it up, and they ended in a tie. But I was like, this is actually electric stuff. Like pay attention, baseball. <laughs> So, anyway, that was quite the tangent. Let's throw it back to uh, Ole Miss a little bit. Um, just going through some roster stuff. So, I went through that. Bench, uh, Leatherwood, does he have a COVID year? No, Leatherwood's gone. That's he's right. Gone. So he uh, Dunhurst, he's probably gone. Yeah, there was some Instagram posts, you know, like him showing his locker for the final time and stuff like that. And yeah, I think I think he's probably gone unless he just gets extremely low balled. Um, why do you think that is? Why Why do you think Hayden Leatherwood is choosing to go now? I I don't have like I don't I mean, know Dunhurst. Uh, yeah, sorry, not Leatherwood. Dunhurst. Excuse me. Too many. Um, I don't know. That's an interesting question. Here, here would become my question. If Hayden Dunhurst came back, would you lose Calvin Harris? Because Cal- Calvin Harris came to Ole Miss to catch. I don't know that. I'm I'm, I'm genuinely asking. Um, well, you're right about the fact that Calvin Harris came to catch. Um, is there any aspect of this? Again, this is just me spitballing, speculating. I have no idea. Is there any aspect of the way Dunhurst hit for most of this year, particularly the second half of the year, where they're like, hey, I get he's really good defensively, but like, hey, go do the draft thing. Like, we got a guy. Is there, do you think there's anything to that? Because Harris was really good in the World Series. Um, no, I, I think if Hayden Dunhurst called on this and said, hey, I want to come back, that Hayden Dunhurst would come back. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's, that's do you tough. Think but devastated if Dunhurst goes? Do what? No, I don't think they'd be devastated because, I mean, and it's nothing against Dunhurst, but they've got a guy, right? Um, here's the thing about, about Dunhurst that wasn't true um, maybe even five or six years ago. It used to be that you could be really, really good defensively behind the plate, not hit, but if you could catch at a major league level, you would make it to the major leagues. That is no longer the case. Yeah. You have got to provide something offensively behind the plate. Um, I don't know of a whole lot of catchers that are just abysmal behind. Everybody does the Yadier Molina thing. Yadier can hit. Um, it can hit enough. I mean, he's not an elite hitter by any stretch of the imagination, but he's not incompetent. But I'm not calling Dunhurst incompetent. I guess what I'm saying is he's going to have to become better offensively um, to reach the major leagues, and I think he does. I, I think you know that he's good enough defensively, and it's a sliding scale that. If he, when he does improve, I think he winds up making the major leagues. Um, but but he, he is going to have to improve offensively just because nowadays you can't provide, you know, zero and be a, be an MLB catcher. And I don't think he would provide zero. I just think that, that he's got to get better there for sure. I'm glad you brought that up. Yadier Molina is a career 278 hitter. Yeah, he's fine. And he hit, but everybody he, says he can't hit. He's never been able to hit. He's just great defensively. I'm like, mm, have y'all watched him? I suppose he's a, I mean, he's hit 20 home runs. Like, I actually looked this up earlier in the day when I was looking up some Dunhurst stuff because the Yadier Molina example is the one that's – I was like, this guy that's hit 20 home runs three times in, you know, 15, 16 seasons in his career. 
you know, 270 hitter and doesn't strike out a ton. Like he's absolutely a competent hitter. Whereas again, not saying Dunhurst is incompetent, but he really did struggle at the plate. And this was, I, we probably talked about it at the time. This was trending that way when Cooper Johnson came out in 19. Now Cooper had better, a better 2019 season at the plate and showed to be more of a complete hitter. Maybe, and this is probably not the perfect comparison, but from Cooper Johnson to 2017 to what he was in 2019, we never really saw that progression with Dunhurst. And granted, the 2020, his freshman season, got canceled by COVID, but we never saw, like, the gradual improvement at the plate. I'm not saying he can't hit. He may end up in the major leagues. But don't you feel like you, like everyone, from an Ole Miss perspective, felt better about Cooper Johnson's chances of making it to the major leagues because of the way he hit for the second half of 18 and for most of 19? Yeah. Versus, like, Dunhurst, you never really saw that linear trend upward. Yeah, he was he was much better in twenty one um, than he was in twenty or twenty two. Um, I, I do wonder too, to be fair to Hayden, um, how much the injuries impacted him. That's a good. Um, you know, he, totally he missed he missed a lot of time early in the year. Um, so I don't know. We'll see. I, I I think, but from an Ole Miss perspective, I would be somewhat surprised if he's back. I would be pretty shocked myself. Yeah, that that leads itself to Calvin Harris being the catcher. As I continue yeah. to run down the list here. T.J. McCants was a guy, and I hate that – I don't remember if Chase mentioned this on air or off the air, so I don't want to get our guy in trouble here. But he had a – I don't, I don't – he he's not going to care. He had a hunch that T.J. McCants would, might not be back next year. Might just Yeah, 1st of June, that was the talk. Go through a change of scenery. That was kind of the scuttlebutt. Despite him having a tough year, still got a lot of tools, still a really good prospect. Um, it sounds like that may have changed a little bit. What is so? I've been out of the loop. What is so? Is we had some comments? What happened here? Yeah. So um, let me see if I can find it. There was a story uh, from uh, home paper in in uh, Florida. McCants threw out a first pitch, maybe at a oh, uh, minor Wahoos. league game. I do what? The Blue Wahoos. The uh, Pensacola yeah. Blue Wahoos. Yeah. Um, it says in the story. Even though McCants is eligible for the MLB draft beginning this weekend, he expects to return to Ole Miss for a third season. Um, I think that's really good news for Ole Miss. Um, and I'll say this, too, and, and I'm not, I'm not going to build off this too much. Um, I think it's really good that from a lot of realms that T.J. McCants is going to return to college baseball at the University of Mississippi and not play uh, somewhere in Florida. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, and I think that's – I mean, just – yeah, you're right about that part of it, but just surely from a roster-building standpoint, that's great news. Look, T.J. McCants – Oh, man. I don't think you can judge T.J. McCants off of his 2022 season. It's not fair to him. It's not fair to him. He's had a lot go on in his – again, I don't want to get too far into it. I don't know yeah. what's not, but I think probably some of our closer listeners understand probably what's going on. But he had a lot going on um, in his personal and life. he was hurt. Yeah, and he was hurt on top of that, on injuries as well. So I don't think you can really judge T.J. McCants. And I also don't think it's your typical – you know, I saw a little bit of like the, ah, sophomore slump, they figured him out. Like, I don't think that's what that is. Um, and so with a clear head and a clean bill of health, I'd be really interested to see what T.J. McCants does next year. And to be honest, with the way he hit his freshman season, I think that dude could improve his draft stock a decent bit. I think he would always probably get drafted because just kind of what he rates as a prospect. But, like, let him go into the draft next year. Remember, he's a draft-eligible sophomore. This is yep. not a junior with a COVID year trying to exercise 
trying to figure out where his leverage is. This is a draft-eligible true sophomore with COVID not in the picture. And so I just – I think a good year next year, he could really elevate. What do you think? Um, so something that doesn't get talked about enough with McCants is while he wasn't elite, he was a lot better in center field this year. A lot better in center field this year. If he swings it and he plays another good center field this year, um, I mean, I think we're talking about a guy that's third or fourth, second, maybe second round next year. Look, he didn't forget how to hit, and people didn't pitch him differently. He just had a bad year. Austin Bossfield had one of these. Um, it just happens. You know, it, it just happens. I think T.J. McCants is your everyday center fielder next year. I think T.J. McCants is your leadoff guy next year, and I think T.J. McCants hits about 320 with an 890 OPS and about 17 stolen bases and plays a good center field. And everybody forgets that in 2021, or excuse me, 2022, he didn't have his best season. Would anybody remember that anyway? The man won a national title. I guess. No, all I remember is T.J. McCants hitting nukes in Omaha and Hattiesburg. That's all I remember. The old back-to-back-to-back. Um, which by the way, I guess this, I probably will do this at the top of the show, but I talked to Ben Van Cleve for a podcast that'll probably run on Sunday. Um, uh, one great guy and a guy, we'll just go random sidebar here. Cause we talked about this while, like before we started recording, um, a guy they needed, right? Yeah. Like, you know, a ton of it bats, but you talk about attitude guy. And again, I don't want to give away too much of the pod, but just the way he talked about after the SEMO game where he's sitting in the dugout and like. I mean, he said it. This was his own words, and you'll hear it on Sunday. But he was like, this shit sucks. Someone has to say something. And that's a guy that, like, you know, wasn't getting a lot of it bad. It's like, could have easily checked out. But he's like, I'm not going out like this. I'm going to say something. And was just, like, the ultimate glue attitude guy the entire time. I don't even remember where I was going with that. I just remembered um, something. About, well, how did I get on Ben Van Cleef? I, I do this all the time. I, <laughs> uh, you were just talking about uh, people struggling in, in 2022. Yeah, and like that, that, and no one remembering it. Like people are going to remember Ben Van Cleve as an Ole Miss legend, I think, despite him not, you know, getting a ton of it bats. But like that team, I think was, I think that team was more selfless than we gave them credit for. Because sure. I think about like the social media part of it, and I was like, you'll love this. I he, I started. I said I kind of made a smart ass comment about a quote unquote former third baseman. And then I was like, don't worry, I won't get you in trouble. And he just goes, I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think that Austin Anderson motivation worked the way he may have thought it did. Um, but anyway, that's been the Ben Van Cleef sidebar. Look for that podcast on Sunday. That was the world's worst tease. But it was a great conversation. He's a really good dude. I'm glad we did that. Um, but you're right. I don't think anyone's going to remember the McCant struggles. I think people – oh, that's how I got on it. Um the, the listeners have gotten a full look into my brain. I, we were talking about the back-to-back-to-back that McCant sparked, and I said Mike said made it sound like a like Mike said it sounded like a football game, to which I thought that in the stands at the time, and Van Cleve was like, "Dude, I came on like a recruiting trip or whatever, like during a football game," and he was like, "That it sounded exactly like that. It was like football." <laughs> yeah, that that place was nuts after that. It. Sounded like it surprised the players. Um, I asked him about that. He was like, look, I know – he's like, I've been an Ole Miss fan my entire life. I know Ole Miss people travel for big games. We thought that Ole Miss would, you know, have 15, 16, 17,000 people there. But when we walked out of that stadium, you know, I told him that story I told you about wanting to get tickets on the Ole Miss side, and he, like, cut me off. He's like, what Ole Miss side? I was like, yeah, exactly. Um, 
I, he they they were kind of blown away by that. I think. I mean, they knew they were going to get a lot of support, but he was like, the tech started flooding in, and we ran on that field that first day. It was an entire old Miss stadium. I was like, yes, it was, man. Like, no dispute. Didn't know the Oklahoma people were there. there. Yeah, there was no Oklahoma section. So, um, anyway, getting you back on the rails here. Yeah, McCants. I think he probably comes back. It sounds like the newspaper comments he made would indicate that as well. As we continue to go down this. Drew McDaniel and uh, Derek Diamond have entered the transfer portal. What do you? They will not be Ole Miss Rebels next year, one way or the other. I don't think either. It's draft or they go somewhere else. Um, I'm with you there, and I'm just speculating here. How much of? I mean, if we're just going to be frank about this, how much of that was a what they like to call mutual decision? Yeah, um, I'll say this. I think if both of those guys would have, because I think both of them are pretty good teammates. Um, I think if both would have said, no, we, we want to come back, I think Ole Miss would have had to make some scholarship, you know, changes or whatever. Oh, and, that would have been a must, yes. Yeah, but I, I think both – I'll say it like this. I think both of those guys could have come back to Ole Miss and worked if they wanted to. I just think both of them have, have – look, sometimes it just doesn't work out and you need to change the scenery. So they're either going to go to the draft and, and or uh, – or, you know, uh, find another school to go to. I know, I know McDaniel's been contacted by some other SEC schools or will be, um, I think. But, you know, it's I, – I, I think both of those guys can be high-level pitchers and, and it, for whatever reason it just didn't pan out at Ole Miss. What do you make of – maybe this is just my Instagram and Twitter algorithm. They announced that they were in the transfer portal. Did you start seeing videos of them both bumping like 93, 94 in some sort of yeah. – yeah, well, they, they've all they've both always been able to throw hard. Well, yes. Well, in Diamond's case, healthy, yes. But then, yeah. well, what? I mean, there was no surgery between now and then. What? What's the deal? Yeah, I don't know. That was that was kind of wild that uh, that they were able to do that. Um, look, I think both of those guys can be high level pitchers. So that that the the drive line videos didn't exactly shock me for sure. No, and they probably weren't a total coincidence either. Uh, Max, no, no. Max Trophy, I think he pretty much said earlier in the year he was done. Um, okay. I didn't know what to do there because I think he could come back, but no, I mean, he's not a dra- he draft guy. But... Year, I'm pretty sure. Um, but I, And I'm just I, – I swear I think he said something earlier in the year about it being his last ride. But if you're him, at this point, I mean, unless you're just tired of college and tired of college baseball, I mean, he's yeah. 22, 23. Why would you not just kind of? Hey, I got a fully healthy year. Why not? Why not let this rip? If you were him, wouldn't that? Like, um, that's what I would do if I were in his shoes. And again, I'm not an athlete, and I'm not Max Trophy. But with the guy with a year of eligibility left, what he's been through injury wise, why not let it rip fully healthy? Yeah, that's certainly fair. Um, I guess the thing is, you know, some people are graduating, ready to move on with their lives. That, that happens all the time. Um, I don't know. We'll we'll see. Um, I think he has a year of eligibility left. I haven't heard anything, so I don't know. I wouldn't be shocked either way with him. We'll get back to Colin in just a second, but real quick, I want to take a break to remind you the podcast is brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywright.substack.com. Your uh, inbox has been empty for the last two weeks, but I'm going to change that over the weekend as we get the newsletter cranked back up. But just type in your email, a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's one hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. As we hit in the dog days of summer, prime grilling season, you're going to want to go into LB's and find your own favorites. Oxford is so lucky to have a place like LB's. It is absolutely the best place in the world to get meat. 
I love the uh, tri-tips. You got the filet burgers, all kinds of delicious sausage, fresh seafood. Greg's got it all. And if he doesn't have it, he will get it for you because he wants to make your grilling experience great. Absolutely a staple of the Oxford community. Check them out. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right. Here is, or we're back to uh, Colin Brister. Here we go. Who was that kid from state a couple years ago who was like, the hell with this, like I'm actually about to get a big boy job, and then was like, yeah, no, I'll try it again. It was just incredible. Do you remember who? Cole Gordon. Who? Yeah. Cole, Cole Gordon. Gordon. Call. That's exactly who that was. Um, like, could you see that? I, I'm not. Yeah, maybe. Again I, again, I don't know anything, and I'd be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised one way or another like you. I just, if I was Max Trophy, and maybe. I would go back. Maybe he's tired of playing college baseball. I get that. I'm not begrudging him if that's how he feels. I don't know him anything from the next guy, you know, down the street or whatever. I just – you never got to see a fully healthy version of that guy. He was a freshman and then kind of pitched as a sophomore and then had the injury stuff and then the COVID. And, like, you never really saw, like, the full version of Max Trophy as long as he's been around at Ole Miss. And I would just want to give it a go fully healthy. But, again, I'm not him. Guys get older. They have different dreams. He just won a national title, kind of. Like, I don't know. Do you think he could help them next year? Because I think yes. Yeah, I do. The farther away he gets from Tommy John, I think he could certainly help them, especially. Look, I'll say this, too. Um, Max Chofi was not going to pitch a meaningful inning this, this postseason just because, you know, I mean, he's just coming off Tommy John, not from a talent perspective, but he's just getting over the surgery. But I don't think it was a coincidence that he was always on the travel roster either. So, so he's certainly a teammate that I feel like everybody likes just from that aspect he was always on a travel roster where it was very unlikely he was going to pitch yeah you're dead on with that and he's probably just again I don't know much about the dynamics of the team and I actually wish as we think about this now I'd ask Van Cleve this but he just seemed like the older guy that a lot of people liked having around just seemed like a good dude with the positive attitude and honest to god you have to have one of those right to go through what he went through Mm -hmm. and still kind of stick with it because honestly he was old enough when he had the Tommy John and he wasn't ready for what it was should have been his senior season just like to hell with this, I'll go sell insurance. Um, Dylan Delusia. That's the big one. Yes, it is. And if he's back, they really got something back here. They're, if he's back, they're an Omaha caliber team. Um, they may be without him, but, but if he's back, man. Um, I think it's 50 50. I think Ole Miss, I don't know this. I think Ole Miss maybe tries to stuff for him and um the thing with Delusha is even if he comes back he has a year of leverage he could he could technically play three more years or two more years of college baseball um so it's not a leverage aspect where he has to go now um it just depends on what kind of grade he gets or, or where he's drafted I think personally he could go anywhere from the fourth to seventh round um assuming he wants that that fourth to seventh round money um and, and I have no insight there I don't know. It's going to be interesting because, man, if he he shows up at Ole Miss, they've got they got something special in that rotation. Yeah, they do, and he's the guy. I don't really have a lean either. I can tell you without getting in a ton of detail with call it an educated guess, if you will, wink, wink. NIL is actually absolutely going to play a factor in this. Okay, um, and that kind of gets into the whole like. Slot value versus what you can make NIL-wise. I mean, spoiler alert, if Dylan Delusia gets drafted in the fourth round, I do not think he will be making that much NIL money at Ole Miss. Well, that be a couple hundred grand? Yeah. 150, 200. So I, I don't think the Mighty Rebels will be forking that kind of cash over 
to Dylan DeLucia. But hey, it's not a it's not a one for one trade, right? Because you know whatever in well, it's what it's what can you make in an aisle and then still get next year. Well, that and the fact that you're not riding a bus through Evansville, Indiana, sure, you're a hundred thousand bucks being a professional versus you know having the benefits of being a college athlete as well, right? Like in like you know play in front of ten thousand people that know and like you and building honest to god this nil stuff i was talking to an agent earlier this week and like it's all about brand and i know that's like an intangible thing that people can't quantify but people don't like hearing that word but it's the truth like building your brand means a lot in this nil day hell it's why Jalen, Jaden rashada or the kid at tennessee or whomever got nine million bucks like you don't know if that guy's actually going to be any good, but he's got a good brand and good at what he does. And like baseball is a lesser extent to that. So that's part of it. That's something to factor in. So I think NIL will play a factor. Um, I don't know anything about what Delusia is thinking um, or what he no. might end up doing, but um, boy, could they use him next year? I Ooh. think they'd be fine either way. I think they'd still field a pretty competitive ball club, but man, if, if you bring him back next year, you're talking about Delusia, Elliot, yeah that's what i'm thinking too like that unless something weird happens with jackson ferris is there anything to the fact is there any sort of well this isn't a great example because he already what kind of was the friday guy but like Like, anything to the like the christian trent effect where christian trent was incredible on saturdays for Ole miss in 14 and he does as as much help around him in 15 and he was good but not great like do you see that with delusia at all do you think he peaked um I don't know. I, I think – so something that I do think helped with Delusia was that at the end of the year, um, weren't as many innings on Dylan Delusia's arm as there were, um, you know, other Friday night guys that had pitched the entire season. Um, you know, and the fastball still had real run and real ride. Um, I don't know. I, you know, I, I – I don't think so. I think Dylan Delusia will be great next year if he returns for Ole Miss. Um, it's just, man, he's got that mentality. He 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 he's he's really good. And uh, no, I I don't think Dylan Delusia will have a fall off if he returned Ole Miss next year. And and Trent, I don't think did, but from a numbers perspective, he did because the team wasn't as good. Um, but no, I, I don't I don't expect that to be the case with Delusia if he comes back. I'm kind of with you in that camp, and that'll be fascinating. And just another tidbit from that Van Cleve podcast that I thought was very fascinating because, like, a little inside baseball here. I got done recording that, and then I hopped on with you. He said that Delusia is one of the most talkative people on the team until the day he pitches, and you cannot get a word out of that guy. I can see that. And he thinks that's why he, he was – he actually mentioned that at the top of the pod without, like, me prompting it. He was like, thank God Bianco put him in as the starter because he was the worst bullpen guy ever, but he was an incredible starter. <laughs> And part of that probably has to do with that. Some guys are just wired that way, right? Like, because when you're a bullpen guy, you don't know when you're going to pitch. You probably yeah. have no idea, but you don't really know to where you're a starter. You can have that whole day to get in your freak mindset or whatever it is. I just found that fascinating because, I mean, how many starters have Ole Miss had through the years or just baseball in general that you know that are that way? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I mean, Pomerantz was like that, I think. Yeah, he probably would have uh, stepped out of the pen. It would have been criminal <laughs> to throw him out of the pen, but you get my point, right? Like the right. mindset aspect. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, that's certainly a good point. And, and yeah, yeah, I can see where he was. He would not be a, a reliever for sure. Um, yeah, and I'd say that theory proved true. He was okay out of the uh, – he was okay. Yeah, he worked worked out. That worked out okay for him. Um, 
I think that's about it. I mean, I'm just rolling through this roster. There's really no one else. Jack Washburn entered the portal. That sounds he will not be at Ole Miss next year. Yeah, that sounds like a mutual decision to where he either gets drafted or goes somewhere else. Um, what do you make of that? I don't know. I he just wasn't consistent enough to justify a scholarship next year is the way I, I viewed that or justify a key role. And they have transfer portal guys coming in. You mentioned that they're not going to get all of them. Like, or they may not get all of them from the draft prospect, uh, the draft piece of it. But as good as he was in Omaha and he was damn good and he helped them a lot. I just don't view, I don't think they viewed him. And this is just me, you know, projecting consistent enough to justify a major contributor roster spot is kind of how I saw that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, there, there was times he was really good, and then there were times he struggled to fill in the strike zone. His stuff was really good at times. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I did find it a little weird that uh, he didn't en- enter the portal until after July, though, whatever. Um, you know, when Diamond and McDaniel kind of got in there immediately, and he kind of waited a week, week and a half to get in there. I kind of thought that was interesting. But I don't have any theories behind it. I just wondered why. That is kind of fascinating. I actually didn't really think about it from that perspective. He was okay, but like, was like, there was no world where you're sitting there thinking, "Oh, well, Washburn's got another year. He'll be a weekend guy for them next year, right?" Yeah, um, yeah. Stuff just never. I mean, he was really good in Omaha, um, you know, and he was really good against Missouri when he came back from injury. But yeah, just consistently, it just kind of never kind of was consistent with him. Um, stuff's really good, but but he, he had a hard time harnessing at times. I'm just rolling through it. I think that's just about everybody. I mean, I didn't really miss anyone. Did yeah, I unless you want to talk about the high school kids. Um. Yeah, let's roll through it, the high school kids. Uh, it's really just two. Um, I think Barrow's probably going to show. It's Roman Anthony and Jackson Ferris. And really, I, you look, I don't have any insight here, but if you read anything, it's really just Roman Anthony. Uh, I, I do not expect Jackson Ferris to be in Oxford next year. That's a kid. I hope so. Per, yeah, I guess you can always hope. Mock-wise, where do you I – mean, where he's, do you see him mocked? Back end of the first round, middle of the first round. Look, he's a lefty that throws 95 miles an hour and is 18 years old. Somebody's going to take him and give him a lot of money. I don't know what his number is. Um, you know, and, and I've seen some mocks where he's fallen. So, I guess it gives you a little optimism that he shows. But um, I just have a hard time seeing Ole Miss getting the guy that uh, is 94 to 95 as a left-hander um, out of high school to, to campus. I have a hard time seeing that. Do you think Roman Anthony shows? And I'm completely deferring to you on this because, hand up, I have no idea. I know that's the kid. So, that one's hard, right? Um, Chase has said this on, on the board. Now, he posted this long enough that I don't think he mind me saying this. Um, and I heard this, too. There are teams that don't think Anthony is worth a first or second round pick. And there are teams that think Roman Anthony is worth a first or second round pick. And if you're Ole Miss, you hope that the teams that think He's worth it. Don't pick him because the other teams aren't. Um, I hate to say it like this because it doesn't give you a ton. I think he's 51% at Ole Miss, 49% not. I, I don't I, – if you made a gun to my head and you said pick, I think I'd pick he's in Oxford. But I would – I'd have my will written too. Um, he is a legitimate outfielder. The comparison or the comp is J.B. Woodman 
Um, and I think that's a very fair comparison. Uh, the kid's a stud. And, man, if Ole Miss gets him to campus, I think he plays immediately, and I think he has a big impact immediately. You heard it first here. Colin Brister guarantees that Roman Anthony will show up on campus. I heard 49. <laughs> that's favoritism. Um, so the percentages are in Ole Miss's favorite. He would make yeah. a difference for them. Because also, that's a kid that they have – that's a profile of a kid they haven't had in a while. Like, when's the last yeah. time – a really kid that can really hit and is a really good outfielder. The answer, JB Woodman. Yeah, and they just look. One guy's not going to make an outfield, but man, if you bring McCants back next year, you could actually have like a real outfield. And no, yeah, I mean, I say that. Don't you think McCants probably slides somewhere in the infield? No, I don't. Really? Um, so that's interesting. So you don't think he'd play like third or something? No, I think so. If you're McCants, right? What did you when TJ McCant signed his name to play at Ole Miss? Shortstop. What did he sign to play? He signed to play shortstop. Is he going to play shortstop next year? No, of course not. Okay, so I think the premier defensive position, as far as getting him drafted, is center field after after shortstop. I think he's got a better chance um, from a dollar making perspective um, in playing center field than he does third base. And I think if he's not going to play shortstop, they're going to do right by the kid and play him in the premier defensive position. That's fair. That's a great point. I hadn't really thought about it like that. Yeah, I mean. Who is going to play third next year, though? Let's just do it. That's a great way to close out the pod. So, we went through all the draft guys. Right? Oh, I know who's playing third. Go ahead. Those guys are, throw, are probably showing up. Based on what we think, and we'll probably have you back on a week or two after the draft or whatever, and be like, hey, what's, the, what, what's it look like next year? But just a pre-draft, barring something crazy, let's just roll through the lineup. Who do you think is where next year? So, Harris is catching. Yeah. Gonzalez. Um, yeah, Gonzalez is at short. Shot, yeah, let's do the easy one. Shotney is at second. McCants yeah. is in center. This is where it gets a little tough. Um, I'm going to – I said 51%. I put Roman Anthony in right. Um, that leaves first base, third base, and left field. And DH, really. Um, well, Alderman is going somewhere. Well, Yeah. Um, I was going to slide actually Alderman from DH to first base. That works. Yeah. Um, and then so I've got third base, left field, and DH. I think here, here's what I think. I think Reagan Burford plays third base, and I think they still, I think they still believe in that kid. Um, people can disagree, and that's fine. I think the coaching staff still believes in Reagan Burford. Um, so I, I, I think he's your third baseman. I think they really, really like John Kramer. I think he might be an outfielder. And then I don't know what they'll do at DH. I think, you know, obviously transfer portal, whatever. I think they'll try to find a guy uh, or develop one. But, uh, I, I mean, I don't know off the top of my head who that would be. Yeah, I mean, look, that's a very – I mean, look, again, we're in July. We're talking about a February lineup. I, I generally agree. I, I agree with the John Kramer part. Hell, that's a kid that started multiple SEC games in the month of May. They like yeah. – when they were searching for it, they really liked that kid. And for mm -hmm. him, he was pretty good. Yeah. Um, and then just pitching-wise, depending on Delush, I mean, look, you're going to have Hunter Elliott back. But I, I'm not even asking really for a lineup here. What do you make of the kid they got from Florida? Uh, he's certainly uh, – I forgot about him when I said Doherty. He will certainly buy for a weekend rotation spot. Um, That's I think if oh, I think if Delush doesn't if Lush doesn't come back, I think he's the guy they want to draw on Friday to keep Elliott on Saturday. 
I think you're probably right there. And then they, they so there was one other one while I was moving that I was completely checked out of. Chase put it on the board. They got a kid from uh, a D two. Oh, the kid from Indianapolis. Yeah. Yeah. What I, I mean, you know, any I, that was kind of out of nowhere. That's one of those ones where you're like, okay, he's probably pretty good. I have no idea. I mean, clearly this guy. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know enough about him um, to have an opinion. Um, he's a lefty. It's eighty-seven to eighty-eight. Um, maybe it throws a little bit harder than that, but. You got one of those in Hunter Elliott, and this worked out. So, uh, they'll have options. Look, after this year, I will never worry about a pitching staff that's directed by Mike Bianco again. He will figure it out. You, i tell you what you did forget when you did forget. Um, Brandon Johnson. That, he still done. has a year of eligibility. Are you sure? Yeah, because um, he had the COVID year in 20 that didn't count. Um, and then he was here 21, 22. So it would be two years. And then I think he started Juco in 19. I think he still has a year. We're going to go through this. Yeah, he does. I don't know what he does, but man, him having him back would be something. He's a really smart kid. Yeah. Civil engineer, isn't he? Yeah. From yeah. Just a, a small town kid that was probably never born to be in that small town. Really smart dude. Was he from like Cottondale, Alabama? Yeah, yeah. <sighs> I don't know. I think he should. My, my honest opinion. Then this is not an expert opinion by any stretch because I don't know the projectability of Brandon Johnson. I haven't talked to any sort of scouts or anything about this to get anything educated. If I'm Brandon Johnson, I'd probably go try my hand in pro ball right now. You're, I would too. Yeah. I think that's what I would do. Yeah, I'd throw 97 miles an hour. And what do you do for strikes next year? You're not helping anything. You're not necessarily hurting anything either. It would just kind of be a little bit of purgatory. You might hurt yourself from a money standpoint. That whatever what he does plays. I don't care that he's right handed. That play I don't care about limited sample size being a closer. That plays. If no, I, Johnson, I can tell you so. So a lot of people look at the at the TrackMan stuff or the Rapsodo stuff. It's like, oh, the fastball's hard, but it's not special. It doesn't, you know, have the the rise or or whatever. But here's reality: Brandon Johnson's not a very tall guy, so it's five ten. Like, do you remember how people struggled with Wyatt Short because he was he was left handed and short? Um, not short, but he's five five eight five nine. But it was ninety three ninety four miles an hour, and it snuck up on you because he was so he he was kind of he wasn't as tall as nor the normal pitcher. It's kind of Brandon Johnson. He's like 5'9 and 5'10. I don't know what they list him at. And he throws at 95, 96. So it's coming out of a low release point, and it's coming 96 miles an hour. And that is not something you see, and it is extremely hard to hit. And he's got a wipeout slider. That's a great point. And guess who's had way, way, way more than a cup of coffee with the uh, Chicago Cubs? I have no idea if White Short gets up, but he lasted longer in the Oh, he's still – yeah, he's hanging around. Yeah. And shot up their system early. I'm kind of with you. I don't think Brandon Johnson can necessarily help himself coming back to school. I do think he will project uh, better professionally than maybe some think off the, uh, you know, just off the top of your head what you would think about a Brandon Johnson. If that guy is like a seventh, eighth inning guy for like the Milwaukee Brewers or something in five years, carves out a nine-year MLB career where he makes like $15 million, but no one actually really knows who he is. That would not stun me in the slightest. No, I mean, the, the, look, the stuff plays. He throws hard. The slider's good. I mean, it's not like he's just throwing fastballs out there, up there at you either. Um, and like you said, really smart kid, a good kid. Um, so 
that'll be one to watch. Um, certainly would, would help the Rebels if, uh, if he came back. But, yeah, like you said, if I'm him, I, I'd probably go and try Pro Bowl for sure. Last couple of thoughts before we get out of here. I haven't talked to you since the parade. Didn't you go to the parade? Uh, I did not go to the parade. I went to see uh, the thing at the stadium. Yeah, same thing. I got Sorry, I was lumping that all in one. I get the parade was kind of short. It was kind of hot. But, like, th- seeing the stadium, I know it's been a couple weeks, but I guarantee people aren't tired of reliving it. Just no. about what that um, was. I was uh, – so, I hadn't written anything about this because that was kind of when the wheels got into motion for uh, the old Newport Beach bachelor trip and then <laughs> moving to Oxford. It was uh, – I can't say I was stunned by it, but it was still just incredible to look at. Yeah, so it was like they were playing a Saturday. I tweeted this. It was like they were playing a Saturday night game of a regional. That's how many people were there. Outside of right field, it wasn't real packed in right field because students are out of town. But um, left field was packed and the grandstands were packed. Um, I figured out – I was sitting there watching and me and my dad were talking. And and I figured out why I was so frustrated with his team in, in, you know, April and and early May. It's like I always – watching that for 21 years, watching this team for 21, 22 years, I always thought that moment would happen for Mike Bianco. Like, I, and, and I know I'm crazy here, um, and it's easy to say this in hindsight, but I always thought Ole Miss baseball would play for a national title. I don't know if, you know, and, and I thought they would win one at some point in my life. And Mike Bianco deserved to win a national title at Ole Miss. And I think the reason that the April and May was so frustrating was you kind of started to think that that moment was never going to happen for him. Um, and that was what was remarkably frustrating. If that was the end, it was like this – I get why it's happening. Mean, we talked about this time. I get why this is happening, but it still sucks. It doesn't make a ton of sense. This is not deserved. No. Yeah, This th- it was completely unfair how that was going to go out. Um, look, it was, it was awesome. Um, and I know a lot of baseball programs are like this, and I know this is cliche. Um, but Ole Miss does it the right way. Um, they have good kids that do a lot of good stuff in the community. Um, they don't get into trouble. You don't hear about problems from them in the town or whatever. There are a bunch of good kids that do it the right way and deserve that. And, and it was really cool to see Kevin Graham and, and Justin Bench and Elko speak, um, talking about guys that deserve that moment. Um, that was awesome. It, it really, really was. And a lot of people – um, deserve that. I mean, they, you know, former players and, and former coaches, and there's a lot of people that built up to that day and, and that certainly deserve that. Well, and Jason and I talked about it the day after it happened, so I called him for a pod right after he got done, actually, I guess, covering it or whatever he was doing. And there was just an aspect of, like, hey, Ole Miss is finally a winner. Like, they'd had good teams, they'd had good programs, but they finally were, like, the best in something in one of the three major men's sports. And, like, I mean – You'll hear on the Van Cleef podcast, he he was very ready to declare that we are Ole Miss thing dead. And I think yeah. absolutely did that. And it's uh, it was wild. Like, it was just kind of wild to see. I mean, Ole Miss will absolutely support a winner. I did tell Van Cleef I was very happy that they let them booze on the little trolley. That would have been just criminal to make <laughs> their student athletes. I'm glad they just embraced the fact that people were chucking white claws at their heads. Um, that, that was good to see. I don't think that all of them were wearing sunglasses out in right field just because the UV rays were getting them. I think there might have been other reasons for that. So I was happy to see that and that they were having a good time. Um, and it looked like just a gigantic party and a well-deserved one. Like you said, Mike probably deserved to play for a national championship. And as you said a couple of times, it's just like I didn't figure for the life of me it would be that team. Like <laughs> It happened, but like I didn't figure that it would ever happen that way. 
What was so funny is I'm sitting with a group of fans um, during the national championship game. It was after the game, and somebody was just talking, and he knew knew me from the podcast, and he was just sitting there thinking. He was like, I still don't know if this team is any good or not. (laughs) That's a great point, though. It's like, I, I know they're holding the trophy, but I still don't really see it. It's like I saw April and May. I don't. I don't really get this. It's it is something else, and it's. <laughs> I tried to get what to, I tried to get Van Cleet to say, "Hey, man, what changed?" And he kind of gave me like the I don't know. We just had bad luck in our mindset change type of deal. But like, I don't think there was some penultimate moment where we, I think they just started playing better and they caught some breaks. Yeah, because they were. Because I mean, we talked about this at the time. They played better at Arkansas, barring the absurd situational hitting thing. They just weren't catching breaks. And to a smaller degree, they played a little bit better against State the weekend before that. And, again, so, situational hitting was bad. They didn't catch any breaks. Like, they, the last weekend they played a terrible brand of baseball, in my opinion, was South Carolina. Yeah. Yeah, that was bad. Um, like, real bad. So – you know, we, we talk about Mike before this, um, you know, his record in Super Regionals and, and stuff like that. And people can one, you know, could wonder if that was a big deal or not. But what I'd always say is like, man, you got to have some luck to, to get to Omaha to win the College World Series. You, you got to have things go your way, right? Um, and you look back at this, right? So Miami, in the seventh inning, doesn't put their All-American closure in the game. They, they, they keep rolling with a bullpen arm that was an average bullpen arm. Um, and Elko hits the ball in the gap, they win the game. Um, reshewing, if he waits on a ball, you know, one-tenth of one second longer, um, he hits a ball four to three in game one, and who knows how that series goes, right? Um, you know, and you talk about on in, in the College World Series, right, if, if Luke Talusha doesn't pitch the game of his life, you don't get to the finals. And then in the finals, if Jack Doherty, the guy that hasn't started a game since March, doesn't pitch the game of his life, well, you might lose game one. Um, and then, you know, in game two, if Jimmy Crooks doesn't get crossed up, up and kind of lose it, um, you know, you, you don't win that game really. You know, you're down in the, in the last inning. So so this team caught breaks, I guess is what I'm saying. And it kind of – it's the thing, like you say it all the time, it's like things average out or things catch up with itself. And, and finally for this program that it kind of – been the short been on the short end of, of catching breaks it kind of just all happened in one post yeah it did I mean you, the list goes on and on the fact that they caught Arizona instead of Miami I mean I don't know if you call that oh, or, or Auburn instead of Oregon State yeah you're exactly right I mean keep I mean, the list goes on and on like look it's not a quote-unquote lucky break no gonna beat like uh Miami it's just kind of good fortune like you didn't want to see Miami again they had a little bit no of- hell no I don't think it would have changed much of anything. You no, might they don't have won. a winner take all game, maybe. Um because yeah. when when Arizona went through that winner's like when Arizona got through, it was like, okay. It was over. Yeah, barring like a getting them getting down eight nothing or something in the first inning because Diamond just poops his pants. Like it, this was over. They had nothing left in the bullpen. And I, again, I keep teasing this Van Cleef thing, and I probably have already given too much already, but like I don't care. You would find this fascinating. They knew going in that Southern Miss couldn't hit uh, their top-end pitching. Yeah, I he did too. That's why I, I, I texted you that Ole Miss was winning in two before that series because I had heard the same thing. You did, and they knew that. You were dead on with that. He mentioned a point in this, and again, I'm probably ruining the whole podcast. Who cares? will listen anyway. It's a great pod. Um, 
that that when they pit when they played them in Pearl, not in Hattiesburg, they didn't pitch any of their top end guys. And like he said, like Mallets or someone else came in at the end and kind of shoved. And they're like, okay, when we pitch our better guys, these guys kind of stink. And I think with the film they saw, they're like, oh, these guys can't hit us. And, like, that was that was absolutely the case. They couldn't score, score a run. Like, it was absolutely correct. I just found that to be fascinating. Um, all right, that's about it for us. Last thing I got for you. So, you're now in full summer mode. I've heard you've taken up golf. How's that going? <laughs> We've played two rounds. Uh, uh, yeah. Not good. I am not good at the golf. May I Everyone's you, uh, rolling your eyes out there looking at you. You're not supposed to be good. The idea is to <laughs> stick with it for like 10 months and then become kind of good. That's how that works. <laughs> I'm going to get you to give me lessons one day in Oxford now that I, you're here. Wrong. Per- I'll, I can set you up with some good equipment, but lessons, <laughs> you don't want to listen to me. I'm, I'm not on that. Like, I'm not on that level. Um, but you mentioned earlier, it is kind of addicting, right? Like, you, you yeah. play – and you play like shit and you play like shit and then all of a sudden you're like oh i hit two good shots you're like damn i want to come back and do this again tomorrow yeah like you, so you weird. swing that driver and the ball like rises as it's going over a hill and it's like oh <laughs> there is no high on earth uh, like a perfectly struck golf shot i will go to my grave like that when you like catch one in the screws it is the most addicting thing on earth i i it's why like bad golfers continue to go out to the golf course. It's like, they just, they have four or five shots. They're like, boom, I could do this every time. Like I could go play on. Yeah. I've not had that feeling yet. It must be like when you hit a baseball 400 feet and it's like, Oh yeah. (laughs) You don't even feel it. Basically on top of the world. Hey, you picked up golf the week that the, uh, that the 150th British open, which is the uh, oldest major on earth is at St. Andrews, which is where golf was invented in the 1400s. I think not. There we go. There we go. We have uh, we have all encompassed this uh, this podcast now that I'm playing golf. Now you just have to play golf every time in like uh, those knicker pants and a top hat where you got the push. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't think that's gonna happen. He is Colin Brister, Rippy Wright's baseball correspondent. We will send you now off into a very deserved off season, and uh, we will talk to you soon, my man. I appreciate it. All right, buddy. Sounds good. All right, that is our show. If you made it to the end, I really make appreciate you making us a part of your day. Glad to be back in the swing of things doing the podcast. Uh, we've got a lot of content coming your way to the start of the week, as I mentioned with the Ben Van Cleve pod. I way too much throughout the course of that podcast you just listened to. Got the Nick Broker show coming. All kinds of great content as we uh, – get geared up for SEC media days and a little bit of kind of a lull. And then you got fall camp and football season will be here. How about that? Got Weldon Rodenberg coming back this year. Um, soccer corner lives on. Well, I'm looking forward to chatting with him on Sunday nights after what is sure to be a terrific football season uh, in terms of entertainment. So anyway, looking forward to all that. You guys have a safe and happy uh, weekend and we will catch you on Sunday.